So it's good to see you guys, and happy Father's Day to all of you dads. And so uh, if you've been with us or if you haven't, I'll just give you a quick update. We've been going through uh, this series, uh, Getting to Know Jesus. And so we've been taking time to look at the beginning of his ministry, and we're trying to look at that with fresh eyes. And so places where maybe we've uh, heard or learned certain things in scripture uh, that jump out at us. We're, we're parking the car for a little bit and talking about some of those concepts and kind of unpacking it. And so last week, the disciples were accused of breaking the Sabbath as they basically helped themselves to some grape nuts in the middle of a field. That's really what went down, okay? And so uh, they're walking through with these guys, and Jesus does this masterful job of arguing his case, basically why it was justifiable for his disciples to violate the Sabbath. And so his point in that whole thing is that God is merciful and that God is compassionate. And he unpacks this other story back in the Old Testament with David to illustrate without food, they were in danger, and, and Jesus doesn't diminish the importance of the Sabbath. That's one of the things that's very clear here. He doesn't trivialize it, trivialize it either. What he's concerned with is Jesus is concerned with restoring a balanced perspective. Uh, regarding Sabbath observance, and he prioritizes the needs of the people. And so that's just kind of the thing in a nutshell. We actually did a lot of hard work last week. So if you weren't here for that, uh, we do have it on the podcast. You can check it out on our website, and uh, you'll get all uh, the information that you could ever want, including notes with probably more footnotes in the notes than there are notes. So you can check that out if you're interested. But uh, not to mention the whole thing illustrated through this life-or-death situation involving a chicken. So if you miss that, you're going to want to see what that's about. So one thing we established in that message, besides the chicken part, is that the Sabbath is a gift to mankind. That this day that God's given us to rest, it was a gift, and that it's actually a treasure to Jesus. And like most Jewish people, the Sabbath is the cornerstone of Jesus' life. It sets, it's basically the rhythm. It sets the time for every week for him. And week after week after week, it's this thing that he looks forward to. And his only concern with that was really just that the Sabbath be kept according to the spirit in which God gave it to us. And before we go any further, we need to understand that there is a basic premise, okay, that drives everything that Jesus talks about, everything that Jesus teaches, everything that he believes. There's one basic premise that drives it all, and here's what it is. Our Father God is good, and he loves us. Everything. You can look at anything that Jesus says, anything that Jesus does, and it will always align to this. This is what drives all of that. And so every conversation, teaching, action, all that stuff that he does, it's founded on this truth. And so not long after that first incident where the disciples are snacking, Jesus comes along to this other opportunity to illustrate more thoughts on the Sabbath. And it's actually with a different set of Torah scholars that end up questioning him. And so we come across this. It's in Luke chapter 6, and we'll pick it up in verse 6. On another Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and he was teaching. And a man there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether Jesus would heal on Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. So the man rose and he stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? 
It was the normal routine for Jesus to go to the synagogue, right? And he would do that on Sabbath morning. He would join the congregation for prayers. Uh, He would read the Torah with them. And often, he ends up teaching as part of that whole thing. And so here, we see really the seeds or the first conflict, the first major conflict brewing uh, that's going to expand we know the, how that story ends, but this conflict is going to go on. But we see this conflict brewing in this relationship that Jesus has with some of these scribes and some of these Pharisees. And so all eyes in the room in this moment are on Jesus. Everybody's watching. They want to know what's going down. They want to know what he's going to do. They are curious. They want to see. So can you imagine the tension that was in that room in that moment? You know, of course, Jesus was a masterful communicator, and so... I'm sure he probably paused just to wait to see how they would respond to this question. But as I started to think about this, I started thinking, what about the guy, the dude with the hand? What would this have been like for the guy as he stands there? Basically, Jesus calls him up to stand there in front of everybody. Now, tradition holds, we don't have this in the Bible, it's in other traditions, but tradition holds that this man was a stonemason. And here's how I imagine it. He's at work, and he's basically breaking down rocks to use in a wall or something, right? And he's hammering away, and all of a sudden, one of the rocks, rocks like slips off the moorings, and it crushes his hand. And a couple of his buddies come over, and they help him get his hand free. And weeks later, the pain has subsided, but the effects of that injury have not. You just want to work, right? He's just trying to earn a living, but he can't because his hand is useless. And so he finds his way to the synagogue for prayers on that morning, and you can't believe your eyes. He's, he's here. He's, he's here. I can't believe it. Yeshua of Nazareth. Some say he's a prophet, and others say that he is the real deal Messiah. This is your opportunity. And everybody is talking about these miraculous healings. And you think to yourself, man, since the accident, all I've known is shame is I try to take care of my family. I wonder if just a word from him, like the others I've heard about, could change my life forever. Wait, wait, wait what? You're, you want me to come up front? Sorry, excuse me, right? The whole thing, he gets up. I mean, that would have been a little weird. And so there you are, you're thinking about this, and you're standing there, and I'll say, why are they all looking at us like that? Guys, do not ruin this for me. You finally find yourself standing in the middle of this assembly of people, and Jesus is using you as an object lesson. That wouldn't be uncomfortable, would it? He doesn't know how this is going to play out. And it's interesting, because when you read this story in Mark's gospel, and that's in chapter 3, It's pretty clear that the question that Jesus is asking is not a rhetorical question. You know, because sometimes he'll ask a question, and you know he's not actually expecting a response. But in this case, it really seems like he's waiting for them to respond. And so in Mark 3, it says that Jesus looked around at them with anger, and he grieved at the hardness of their hearts. The assembly, all of the people, they remain silent in this moment. Because everyone knows the answer to the question. Of course, yes, it's lawful. It's it's a good thing to do good on the Sabbath. That's the answer to the question. They all know it. So Jesus gets angry. 
We see it right there. He gets angry. But what is he angry about? Here's what he's angry about. Jesus is angry because of their lack of compassion. He looks around the room and he sees that no one is going to answer this question, even though they know the answer. And he's angry. The Pharisees and the scribes in that moment had prioritized their pride over this need at hand. (laughs) Right? Need a hand, get it? Dad jokes, it's Father's Day. That was for you, Matt Gladden. You're welcome. Again, Jesus operates under this basic premise that we serve a good father who loves us. And so Psalm 103 says this, verses 13 through 14. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. We mentioned this a little bit earlier, but our view of our earthly fathers has a profound effect on the way that we view God. So if your dad was like an authoritarian dad, he was always coming down on you and you were always feeling like that you were in trouble, that you could never please him, then you probably view God that way. At least a part of you does. You probably view God as up there with his lightning bolt just waiting for you to jack up so that he can zap you. If your dad was absent or if he was unavailable, this probably affects how you view God. And maybe your question is, I don't even really know if he's there. And if your earthly father was kind and loving, then that certainly affects and impacts the way that you see your father, God. And I look around this room and I see lots of dads that are rocking it. You're doing a great job. But even if the dad that's with you today or your dad was a great dad, is a great dad, we're all still human. And we all still have flaws. And we all still have inconsistencies. Sometimes we're selfish. And so even those things can impact the way that we view God. Well, my dad is really good most of the time. But then there's sometimes... And we take those things and we graft those things onto God. We say, well, God comes through for me most of the time, but sometimes he doesn't. But the truth is, and I'm going to say it again, God is full of mercy and compassion. He made us. He knew us before we existed. He uniquely knows our limitations. I think that that's what that means there, that he remembers that we're just dust. You guys are just dust. I get that. And that word there, fear, may get your attention, but it's simply a statement that means that as his children who love him, we do our best to walk in his ways. Those who fear him walk in his ways. But he knows our frame, he remembers that we're dust, and he knows that we're not perfect. And James would later write that God is unchanging and faithful and trustworthy when he says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom, I love this, there is no variation or shadow due to change. He's basically saying, listen, your Father up above, regardless of what you've seen elsewhere, is consistent. Even when our earthly dads let us down, or are inconsistent, our Heavenly Father is consistent with His mercy, His love, 
and his compassion. And not only that, all good gifts come from him. He gave us the Sabbath as a gift, and the Sabbath was made for people, Jesus says, not people for the Sabbath. And so Jesus and all these men that are here, that are watching all this unfold, would have been very familiar, not only with these scriptures, but they would, except for the James one, of course, because that's not been written yet. Just keeping you honest, folks. But they would have known Psalms. They would have known that the Talmud states, which, by the way, that is rabbinic commentary that had been handed down from the time of Moses, person after person after person teaching on teaching, basically passing on teachings about the scriptures. They would have known that the Talmud said that if a positive commandment and a negative commandment contradict, then the positive commandment supersedes the negative commandment. So in other words, if God says, do this and do not do this, and those two things do this, then whichever one is the positive one, the do one, that's the one that wins the battle because we serve a good father. So it seems strange to us when we read this whole story. It's just like a no-brainer. Here's this, this dude, he's there and he's suffering, right? He has this hand that's preventing him from being the man that he wants to be and needs to be for his family. He needs healing. And that because of prohibitions, that many of the guys in the room would have actually put off the healing until the next day. That nothing could be done until after the Sabbath. Here's the thing. It seems strange to Jesus, too. No one answers this question, even though they all knew the answer was, of course, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. It's kind of like when you have an argument with someone and you're in the middle of it. And then by the time the argument is done, you actually end up being proven right. And so the other person, rather than admitting that they were wrong, will say things like, well, it could be, you know, it could be both ways, really. (laughs) Well, we were both right, if you think about it. Right. We were basically saying the same thing. Well, that's an opinion, but I'm sure there are others out there too. I had a friend growing up, and anytime he wanted to prove a point, he would start it off by saying, you know, it's a proven scientific fact that monkeys would win in a race with donkeys. Like, it didn't matter what he said after that. It's a proven scientific fact, you know. And of course, that sounds really cool. You're like, man, this guy knows science. Obviously, I'm wrong, right? So that's kind of what's happening here. Jesus... He gets it, right? No one's answering the question. So he's going to put the question in terms that they can all understand. And those terms are livestock. We're going to talk about sheep. Chickens last week, sheep this week. We're going to try and make it through the whole barnyard before this is all over with. So he puts it in terms they can understand. Livestock, Matthew 12. Here's what he says. Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, would not take hold of it and lift it out? Again. This seems like a no-brainer to us. My sheep just fell in a pit. I'm going to get my sheep out of the pit. Because he's cute. I don't want him to be sad. You might be surprised to learn that the sages had lots and lots of writings detailing the particulars of what one could and could not do in order to rescue livestock such as sheep if they fell into a pit. And it's crazy, like, you can throw cushions down into the pit so that he might be able to climb out by himself, but you cannot tie a rope around him and yank him out. Like, all of these rules. And so I don't know what the deal was, if there were just tons of pits on the property, or you just always had animals falling into holes. But they spent a lot of time talking about this. It was a very common problem. It just seems like maybe you could do a better job watching them. That's just my opinion, but whatever, okay? So anyway, the bottom line is that most people... 
if you have a heart at all, you're not going to allow an animal to suffer, are you? In fact, many of you I know would probably let a person suffer longer than you would an animal. And I know this because I see the things that you look at on Instagram and Facebook and what you share. And it usually has to do with animals. Cute animals doing this or doing that. Oh, look at him, isn't he cute? Oh, he's covering up his face like people. Right? Man, God made us to have compassion, especially for animals, especially cute ones, right? And sheep are pretty darn cute. They really are. So, even in this case, if you think about it, they're not going to let an animal suffer for a practical reason because they depend on that animal, right? At the very least, for some type of provision uh, for food or for profit, right? So Jesus doesn't wait for an answer on this one like he did earlier. Here's what he says. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Again, the Lord shows compassion on his children. Good gifts come from him. And what better gift could there be than to be healed? So here's what happens. Back to Luke chapter 6, verse 10. And after looking around at them all, and I don't know how long that look was, but it might have been something like this. Looking at you, Josh, back there. I see you. Pretty uncomfortable, isn't it? After looking around at all of them, oh, not that. He said, stretch out your hand. And as he did so, his hand was restored. Which is cool, right? You're sitting there, you're like, yes! But that's not what they said. They were filled with fury. And discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. So Jesus is angry with their hardness of hearts. He puts an exclamation point on this whole thing. I'm going to seal the deal with this healing. So you could debate the semantics on what to do on the Sabbath and how to do it. But it's pretty hard to argue with the healing, okay? Like I would personally, if I'm a dude in that room, even if I disagreed... I'd be like, well, I probably need to consider this because that was really cool. Right, but that's not what happens. Rather than allowing the truth of this moment to change their perspective and soften their hearts, these particular Pharisees and scribes get angry. Mark's gospel says that they immediately began to plot with those who had arrested John the Baptist to take him down. Those are my words, by the way, but that's basically what it says. Which is quite different, if you remember, from the healing story back at Pete's house where they lower the dude on the little mat. You know, they tear the roof away. Remember what happened to that one? Scripture was very specific. It said that everyone rejoiced, everyone in the room rejoiced and blessed the Lord for what they saw. And we know there were scribes and Pharisees in that room too. But here, whether it's because of traditions or ideologies or... Politics, whatever you want to call it, that's not what happens. Some of the leaders immediately begin to plot to destroy Jesus. Guys, a healing just happened right in front of them. And I don't know how dramatic that was, if it's like his hand like sort of grew or, you know, like Groot. You know, and all of a sudden it's great again. But when I read stories like this, 
one of the things that my good friend Jeannie Hewitt taught me to do is think about what the other people would have been thinking in these stories. So when I think about this story, I want to believe that if I'm a character in the story, I want to believe that I'm like on the side of Jesus in this. I want to believe that I'd be God. Guys, isn't it kind of obvious, really? Of course this man needs help. We must help him. But the truth is, when I think about it, when I really think about it, and I'm honest, sometimes I can be a lot like the guys that surrounded Jesus too. Set in my ways, I know how to do this. Too busy to consider others, and, and honestly, maybe even just fearful. If Jesus was the Messiah, then things were about to change. And depending on who you were in that room, that change may not have been so great for your social status. And if things are about to change, then that means I have to change. And I don't like that. That makes me uncomfortable. Or perhaps in the guy with the withered hand. I'm just in desperate need. I'm just kind of caught in the crossfire of this situation. You notice he doesn't really say anything. Hoping to stay out of the controversy. I want to make us, I, I, listen, I don't want to make any waves. I don't want to take a stand, but I will take that healing. Thank you. But more often than not, if I'm completely honest, I find myself in the shoes of the Pharisees. Enforcing the rules, making sure things get done the right way, and totally missing the point. I've got so much to do. Well, if I help with this, then they're going to need help with that. I just don't have the time, which sounds a whole lot like another story about a good Samaritan, if you recall, where everybody was too busy to help him out. Another story that Jesus told. So listen, if you or I have so much going on in our lives that we don't have time for compassion, then we're too busy. If we're walking through life and we can't stop and help somebody, we're too busy. And our priorities are not aligned with the priorities of Jesus. Because he was never too busy. I think this can especially be true for the dads that are here. Or they can hear my voice. Sometimes, if I'm being honest again, I lack the patience and the compassion that I need in a given situation. But Jesus calls us to more. Men, women, kids. Jesus calls us to more. And if we're following Jesus, then loving God and loving other people together becomes the priority. In all of the little things that we do that we busy ourselves with that we think are really making a difference that, you know, I'm leaving my mark on this planet and... All that stuff. Loving God and loving other people is the mark that we need to leave on this planet. So any time that we can speak life, any time that we can bring life, any time that we can support life, any time that we can breathe life into someone else's life, it is our duty and our calling to do so. It is. And it's a pretty sweet job. When you choose Jesus, you've chosen compassion. 
Compassion is our life choice. If you're in this room today and you claim to be a follower of Jesus, this is the, you've made the choice already. made the choice. So that's what I want to consider today as we close. If I could have any of you folks that would be willing to pray with other folks, and Jeremy, if you would come so we could worship, that would be great. You guys can just go ahead and fill in here if you would. Compassion is our life choice, guys. So here's the question. How do we look at the lives of others? When we look around this world, whether it's people that are a part of our lives on a daily basis, whether it's the occasional person that we run into out and about, whether it's the homeless guy or gal that's standing on the side of the road, or whether it's the successful businessman that we see in the store driving the fancy car, Do we measure the lives of others by the letter of the law and judge ourselves by the spirit of it? Here's what I'm saying. Are we harder on other people than we are on ourselves? Do we expect more out of other people when it comes to following the rules versus ourselves? I think it's a question that we all have to ask. But sometimes it's the opposite, right? Sometimes we're super easy on other people. And we're really hard on ourselves. And I think both of those perspectives are skewed. Do we embrace the mercy of God? Or do we withhold it from ourselves, from other people? I want to be clear. I'm not saying that we should throw out all the standards that we find in Scripture that God calls us to live by. We quoted Psalm 103 earlier to illustrate God's compassion toward his children. But it also says to those who fear the Lord, meaning those who live in his ways and in obedience to him. But again, as always around here, it seems, it always comes down to this, loving God and loving others together. If we truly want to love God and love others, our lives, guys, should be indelibly marked. That means a mark that is so deep, so permanent, like it's, it, it stays longer than a tattoo, like it will not go away. Our lives need to be marked indelibly by compassion. When people see our lives, they should see compassion in them. Because we were bought by compassion. Purchased by compassion. So how much more should we reflect it? Compassion for the needs of others takes precedence over our traditions. Compassion for the needs of others takes precedence over our ideologies, the things we believe, our man-made beliefs. And compassion takes precedence over our politics. And I think that might, that might be the hardest one in the world we live in right now. So here's the deal. I want to take some time to consider these things in our heart. If we want to be like Jesus, our lives should be marked by compassion. So if we've hardened our hearts or we've lacked compassion, it's time to confess that. Not to me, to, to God in this moment. 
because our Father God is good and He loves us. We can ask for forgiveness and He will forgive. We can ask for help and He will help us. That's how good He is. And the amazing thing about our Father is that all of that stuff from the past that we struggled with, all those bumps in the road, all of the hard things, when we ask for that forgiveness and we surrender to Him, He's like, it's gone. And that's a gift in itself. So some things as we pray, and you can make this an altar up here. We have an altar space. You can pray with any of these folks. It's always good to agree with others in prayer. Or even if you just want to pray right where you're at, maybe just think about these things. If there are places in your life that you lack compassion, or maybe places in your life that you've just built up walls against a certain person. God wants to soften your heart because that's what it takes to shape us to look like him. So as Jeremy shares this song, let's make this place an altar. And I'll come back and close this in just a few minutes. ourselves to you this morning for those that are in this room that that this day is a struggle for or even just this moment is a struggle for is we wrestle with the things that you challenge us to leave behind God and sometimes the fear of not knowing what that could mean and how that could affect our world is, is very real and very difficult also know because of your kindness because of your goodness because of your compassion that the other side of that choice is always better it may not always seem like it at first God but we know that even just the lifting of that burden in our lives the things that we choose to carry around when you've offered to carry it for us when your son gave his life so that we would not have to carry those things Father, I just pray a blessing on all of the folks that are here today that you would go with them, that your spirit would guide them in their lives, that that your presence would be so tangible that even in the choices from day to day that we make, that we could feel your hand on our shoulder. And God, for the challenges and the struggles and the difficulties and relationships and all of the things that are weeks seem to be comprised of. I pray that we can walk boldly into this week knowing that you love us and that what you think of us matters more than anything else. That you value us, that you treasure us, that you made us, that you created us, and that you are pleased. That we don't have to prove anything to you because you already love us. I know there are people here that need to hear that. I need to hear that. We all need to hear that. That we are your treasured sons and daughters. So God, go with us today. 
again we say to you, Happy Father's Day. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Listen, before we go, I have one more thing that I'd like to do that I need your help with. So um, I'm going to embarrass this guy right over here for just a second. And actually, I'm going to even take it another notch up, and I'm going to have Gail come up here and stand with us if she would too. One of Gail's favorite things is to be up in front of people. So please make her feel very welcome. Right? Brian and Gail have served this church faithfully. Uh, in so many ways, even before they were here, actually. And Brian has been an elder, part of our elder board. And he has basically a change in his life where he has the opportunity to go back to his hometown and be near his parents and work there and and really get to care for a lot of the people that he's known and grown up with. And so um, Brian has been a literal father to many of you here. But he's also been a spiritual father to many of us, too. And so uh, I just feel like it's important anytime um, we have somebody from our community that's going somewhere else. What I love is that this place is kind of like an infection. And that once you've been here and, and, and God has gotten a hold of your heart, it's like no matter where you go, there's a little bit of this that's just not going to rub off. And in fact, it rubs off. If it does, it actually infects other people. And I really think that that, I mean, I think that basically we're just a big virus, folks, is all I'm saying. It's a big love virus, okay? And so I just want to bless these guys and let them know how much we love you, how thankful we are that you came, that God put you in this place at the right time. We needed you. So if you would, if you feel so inclined, if you want to come, we're going to gather around these guys and just pray over them. Anyone that wants to come up? And I'm actually going to get this microphone here. Because I'm going to put Jeremy Walla on the spot if he's here. And have him pray. He cares kind of about these guys, so. Right. And he's been riding a bike for eight days, so this should be great. Yeah. <laughs> Give it to the naturally emotional guy. That was good. Lord, I just thank you for uh, the influence and the example that Brian and Gail are in our lives. And I thank you. uh, I mean, they have loved and prayed for this community long before it was their community. And they've been walking with us for since the beginning in that way. So thank you so much for the faithfulness and the care that they have shown us. And thank you for the last few years where they've been here as often as possible, and they have been a part of us in this walk. And God, I just pray that you will bless them as they go. I pray that you will put people around them that will just help to strengthen them, that you will give them joy and peace in this transition, God. I pray that this job is a blessing, not just to Brian and Gail and to their family, but to their folks and to all of those 
in that little town. Mm-hmm. You know, Liberty seems like a small town sometimes. Osborne's a really small town. <laughs> and Brian and Gail have made a massive impact in our lives. And Lord, I pray that in that small town that you will use them to just turn it upside down, God. That you are just their agents of love in that little farm town. We love you, Lord. We thank you for them. And we love you guys. Amen.